The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray. Our Father, some of us are really grateful for many things this morning. And others of us, not so much. If it's true that gratitude is a divinely given spiritual ability to see grace and the corresponding desire to affirm that grace and its giver as good, then give us that spiritual ability this morning. Help us. Help me through Christ. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus 16. Now, if you're following online or you have the app in front of you, you'll say, wait a minute, that is not the text. Aren't we going to Romans 1? Well, there's been a change. Some of you might be encouraged, even thankful, to know that the pastoral staff customarily critiques the basic trajectory of the upcoming sermon to improve it. And the sermon I was proposing for today needed a lot of improvement. So we're going to take a different tack. In last week's message, we considered several questions. First one was, why is thankfulness so important? It's important because it displays what we think about God and because our happiness depends upon being thankful. I defined gratitude this way. It's a divinely given spiritual ability to see grace and the corresponding desire to affirm that grace and its giver as good. And I said that thankfulness is a powerful force. Thankfulness or thanklessness, either one, wins or loses the war for your future. It sets you on a trajectory, like a fork in the road. So practicing thankfulness is not optional. That is, practicing thankfulness and not practicing thankfulness won't yield the same outcomes, won't get you to the same destination. Second question was, for what kinds of things should we be thankful? And the short answer is everything. Ephesians 5.20 says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God is he's great, He's also good, For His greatness, we praise Him, and for His goodness, we thank Him. And God is good all the time. Third question was, everything? Should we be thankful for affliction? We looked at several texts, including James 1, which says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter these many trials, knowing that the trying of your faith or the testing of your faith produces patience or steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Who doesn't want to end up there? Lacking nothing. Last week we observed that that one of the failures of ingratitude is that it prejudges God before more of the story is revealed. So when you're in the middle of a hardship, he's not done. He never is. In all of eternity, he won't be quite done. He'll always have more. 
In this very moment, he's using your current set of circumstances as one link in the unbreakable chain of links forged by his unrelenting love and infinite wisdom to accomplish for you the unspeakably valuable privilege of being conformed to the image of his Son. Now, departing from a review of last week, during the week this week, a question was posed, shall a person be thankful that their spouse suddenly died? That's a good question. Does the rubber meet the road? Here's part of my answer. Understandably, thanksgiving is not the first thing that comes to our minds or out of our mouths, nor should it. But wise people eventually reach thankfulness because, first, we just read Ephesians 5, and it instructs us to give thanks always and for everything. So we've got to do some recalibration. If we're not there, and ask for God to help us get there because of reason number two, God is good all the time. All the time. When I'm walking through the Russian woods and hot tears are coming down my cheek because our child just died, God is good at that time. It might take me a while to get around to it, but I will worship him for his perfection. If the deceased spouse is a Christian, they're better off. Death was a portal to a better place. They're thankful. Do I not want to join them in that thankfulness? We never see the full picture. We can't look at every situation and clearly understand why it's happening and how it fits in with the zillion other things that God is doing in the moment. And we'll see that in Exodus 16 in a moment. Vicki reminded me this week that Wilson Benton said, quote, You are one person living at one place at one point in time. And even if God chose to explain to you how all the pieces of this giant puzzle are fitting together in a manner consistent with His own righteousness and holy and gracious nature so that He may faithfully fulfill His promise in your life and work everything that happens to you for your good, you couldn't understand it. But you can believe that God understands it. God understands what He's doing We don't know what the deceased spouse may have avoided by being taken to heaven now. They may have avoided a long, lingering death. They may have avoided backsliding. They may have avoided some horrific sin that they may have committed if they had lived. After ten years of marriage, the early death of Ruth's husband, Ruth in the Bible, She's married 10 years, her husband dies. Now she's a widow. The early death of Ruth's husband made her available for the providential marriage to Boaz and to become the great-grandmother of David in the lineage of Jesus. Now, today, do you think Ruth can thank God for the death of her first husband? It's a particular kind of thankfulness. We don't necessarily do cartwheels, 
Just like when Jesus went to the cross for the joy set before him, it was a real joy. It was a profound joy. It wasn't, it wasn't a touchdown joy. It was a settled, this is right. This is good. God is wise to do it this way. No complaint. I asked about this death of spouses to persons whose spouses recently and suddenly died. I've done more than one funeral in recent months of such sudden deaths. And listen to this response, quote, Thankfulness is a byproduct of trusting God who is good. That's said by a surviving spouse. Thankfulness is a byproduct of trusting God who is good. So one of the ways I deal with my own grumbling, I'm a grumbler. I could ask for a show of hands how many of you are grumblers, but I'm a grumbler. And one of the ways I deal with it is I imagine, in my mind, I look out 10,000 or 10 million years into eternity, and I ask myself, when I get that far out, and I no longer see through a glass darkly, but I see him face to face, and my comprehension is better than it is now, Do I think when I get out there that I will have one single complaint against God? And I readily think, no, I don't believe I will. I think I will look at God there and I'll say, wow, looking back, you did everything just right. If I had known as much as you know, if I was as righteous as you are righteous, I would have done it just exactly the way you did it. You were perfect. Oh, I thank you that you did it the way you did it. Now what I do is then, now let's import by faith some of that thankfulness into the current moment. If I'm going to get out there somewhere and say that God was doing it perfect, now let's bring it right into the current moment. Is He doing it perfectly now? As R.C. Sproul puts it, there are no senseless tragedies. There aren't any. They all make sense if you're God. And we can know God is at work in every situation, working it for the good of those who love Him, because He told us in the Bible. In His hands, seemingly bad experiences produce good outcomes always. Often we don't comprehend the good until much later. I'm confident that was true for Ruth. It wasn't until much later that she saw what God was up to. The fourth question we asked last week was, if the biblical command is to give thanks always and for everything, are there any benefits in doing so? We talked about how people thrive more when they're thankful. Thankfulness intensifies one of life's most precious capacities, namely the capacity to marvel at the marvelous. And marveling is perhaps our highest pleasure. It's the thing we like to do the most. We mentioned that gratefulness frees the grateful to be content and not disgruntled, and the giving of thanks bears fruit. It's productive. It creates something that wasn't there before, namely other virtues. Other virtues are the children of gratitude. 
virtues such as contentment and creativity and enlarged faith and forgiveness of others and wisdom and humility and so on. And the flip side of the coin is also true. Thankfulness liberates from negative things like envy and jealousy and anxiety and anger and malice and more. And it's not because a grateful heart is less seeing. Like, well, I'm not going to look at the problems. I'm just going to be Pollyanna-like and I'm just going to think, you know, don't worry, be happy. That's not it. The grateful heart is more seeing than the complaining heart because it sees the future fruit that's being produced that isn't ripe yet. But it's coming. Fifth question, is gratefulness just some kind of a mood or does it spring from a way of thinking? We said that grateful people behave a certain way because they think a certain way. And the universe is, is right side up when the one who does the work is the one who gets the credit. And since God gives life and breath and everything, he ought to get the credit for everything. The person who consistently thanks God is therefore being supremely rational. The sixth question was, if there is so much to be grateful for, why don't we practice thankfulness as we ought? And we mentioned such things as where we're blind, we don't value it, we don't see it, or we're busy, we're preoccupied, paying attention to other things, or we have poor modeling, we haven't seen it done very well, and so we imitate poor models. Last week, we said the opportunity to be grateful is a fork in the road between a number of things, including wisdom or self-delusion. And we went to Romans 121 that says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. That's quite a fork in the road. In Romans 121, what might Paul have said instead of give thanks? Instead, he could have said, they, they did not honor him as God, nor did they obey lots of his commands. Or they didn't honor him as God or love their neighbor as they should. Or they didn't honor him as God or bring sacrificial offerings. Or they didn't honor him as God and be as loving as they ought. I mean, there's a number of other things he could have put in there instead of or give thanks. But he put in give thanks because, I think, you could do all those other things. You could obey lots of commands. You could be loving to your neighbor. You could bring sacrificial offerings and so on without affirming God as good. You could do it as legalism, religious obligation, duty, Boy Scout checklist, get your Christian badge, You could do all those things without being thankful. You could even do all those things while grumbling. I've got to obey these commands. I've got to do an offering. I've got to love that neighbor. Which brings us to this morning's main text, Exodus 16. So if you'll go there with me, Exodus 16, we're going to look at the first little more than dozen verses. Here we go. Exodus 16, verse 1. They set out from Elam. Now, Elam was a place that, they're in the desert. It has 12 springs and it has 70 palm trees. And they would kind of like to stay there rather than go over the next sand dune. But they set out from Elam. Context. You're aware, I think, that for 400 years they've been in Egypt much of it in slavery. 
And they had just escaped Egypt, having experienced the ten plagues and the Red Sea, which was deadly to Pharaoh's army. So they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which was between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So they've been hiking and camping for 45 days. Now picture this, mothers of small children, caretakers for animals. 45 days they've been out there. Month and a half, verse 2. And the whole congregation, this is men, women, youngsters, all of them, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled. I don't blame them, but it's the opposite of gratitude. The people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. We'll come back to that in a moment. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, verse 3, and the people of Israel said to them, to Moses and Aaron, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots, the buffet, and ate bread to the full. For you've brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Now what's the purpose of this? Well, he tells us that I may test them. Well, test them regarding what? He tells us what? Whether they will walk in my law or not. So this manna is going to be a test. And so here's how it goes. Verse 5. On the sixth day, so you're going to have manna day one, day two, day three, day four, day five. But now on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily, because they're going to take day seven off. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. So hold it. We just saw it there. Your grumbling is against the Lord. In verse 2 it says it was against Moses and Aaron. There's a conflation here. Their complaints horizontally, Moses and Aaron, is a complaint vertically against God. Okay, Sam, when you grumble, what are you saying about God? Every grumble is against the Lord and His infinitely wise providence. Now, I could pause here, and we could go to Romans 8 and talk about how there's a legitimate groaning, the woman who's giving birth to a child, and somebody asks, how are you doing? She's not going to say, oh, just cheesy. She's going to say, ow! There's a groaning that's legitimate that isn't grumbling. So Moses responds like this in verse 7. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, 
because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, against him, against him. What are we, Moses and Aaron? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Grumbling is thanklessness towards God. Verse 9. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Now this is the fourth time in this story that he's made explicit what we all know. God hears our grumbling. So what does he want the grumblers to know? This. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And so here's how it went. Verse 13. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Moses said, It is bread, and it is. So here's some uh, flake-like things. It's not soap. (laughs) They called it manna. But let me take you back to verse 7. What are they to see in the morning when the manna shows up? Not just bread. The glory of the Lord in an ordinary provision. Can I look at this and say, I see the glory of the Lord. Gratitude is a divinely given ability to see. And the corresponding desire to affirm it and its giver as good. The point of bread is to see glory. So when we look at these flakes, what do we see? Only flakes or the glory of God? Oh, for eyes to behold and be thankful. Instead of seeing the glory of God, the Israelites grumble. And they grumble for years. So what does God think of their grumbling? Well, if you were to flip over to Numbers 14.26, it reads like this. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. It doesn't really take a fancy to grumbling. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and all your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me, not one shall come to the land where I swore I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. 
You're no doubt familiar with the story of the ten lepers in Luke 17. Jesus heals ten lepers and tells them, go off to the priest and have him certify that you are clean, and off they go. But one comes back to say, thank you, only one. I'm sure, as I try to crawl into that story, I'm sure all ten of them are grateful. He's blessed their socks off. I mean, wow, they are outcasts, they are excluded from the community, and, and they have disability, and now it's all good. I'm sure they're grateful, but only one says so. There's a profound difference between thankfulness as a concept and thankfulness as a practice. Thanksgiving is an act of giving. It's an action. To practice thankfulness, you don't just feel something, you do something. Thanks is something you give. Now, what if a person just can't seem to get to the place of gratefulness? They're just stuck. And I understand that. I can identify with that. But what do you do then? Well, here are some suggestions. One, by faith, ask God for help. Remember our definition? It's divinely given capacity to see. It's divinely given. Well, if God gives it, ask Him to give it. Ask for help. Now, the bad news is you can't fake thanksgiving to God. He knows whether you're grateful or not. He's not fooled by fools. The good news is you can ask for a grateful heart. I know I should be grateful, Lord. I, I, I believe that I'm going to come to a place where I'm going to appreciate what you're doing right now, but I don't appreciate it yet. Help me get there. You can cling to his promise that he's going to transform your heart. He's a heart-transforming God. He not only takes out hearts of stone and puts in hearts of flesh, but he reaches down in and he inclines the hearts that have already been replaced. Another thing you can do is you can warn yourself of the consequences of becoming a hardened old grump, offending God and more. Another thing you can do is think on his promises, what are called his wonderful deeds for men in the Bible. Think about them and thank him. You can absorb scripture. I exhort you and invite you to come back next week for Pastor Nowlin's sermon. His text is really helpful on this point. Another thing you can do is say amen to the gratitude of others. If you're not yet grateful for something, but somebody else says, mm, Thank you, Lord, for that. Jump on their wagon and say amen to that. That was good. I'll just insert this. is not in my notes here. But I, I mentioned to the prayer group this morning that when I was in the kitchen at my house this morning, I was thinking of Tim Richter Kessing. Tim, are you in this service? There he is. He's back there. He, I, one of the things I appreciate and recognize about him, it's a pattern with him, if somebody else is praying and they something, say something of, of value, he's, thank you, Lord. He, he hooks his thankfulness onto what they just were grateful for. He does it so well. I want to be like Tim when I grow up. <laughs> say amen to the gratitude of others. 
Another thing you can do is you can consciously practice thankfulness. One of the really good things about this is you can just get up in the morning and say, I am going to thank today. It's, it's hard to do a lot of other things. It's hard to get up in the morning and say, I'm, today I'm not going to covet anything. Today I'm not going to, um, not going to complain about anything. I'm not going to envy. I'm not going to be lazy. I'm not going to forget anything. Uh, but you can say, I'm going to thank today, this day. I'm going to thank. And if you feel stuck, there's a book in the bookstore that I've been exhorted to mention, so I'm doing this under protest. <laughs> there's a book called Practicing Thankfulness that contains a hundred suggestions of how you can jumpstart your life in terms of being grateful. Or make up your own list. You know, if we have a thousand people in here, just picking a number, if we had a thousand people in here, and each one of them made his own list of ten ways to thank God, there would be ten thousand thanks to God. Wouldn't that be great? So make your own list. You're creative people in the strength God has given you. Another idea is to thank with specificity. Back when Brittany McCoy was the captain of the University of Minnesota Gophers women's basketball team. She attended this church for a few years and she volunteered at the church and she made a practice that she told me about, and in fact she showed me, that with her phone daily she would take a picture of something she hadn't taken a picture of before, something she was grateful for. I thought, what a great idea. There's an idea if you feel stuck. Pray with a microscope. Pray with a history chart. Thank God for different events that have led us up to where we are right now. In fact, right now, right in this very moment, I invite you to thank God for something you maybe have never thanked Him for before in your life. I don't know what's popping into your mind right now. Have you ever thanked God for your eyelids? Do you know if you lost your eyelids that in a matter of minutes there would be copious tearing? Your vision would become increasingly blurry. You would be blind in days and infected. And there would be perforations to your eyeball. A few days later you would go crazy. Thank God for your eyelids. Uh, how many of you have indoor plumbing? Have you ever thanked God for that? Consider your skin. I, I saw an article this week, and I just was so thankful to God. This is a cross-section. You can't see it, but that's okay. It's a cross-section of skin. And I'm just going to name ten of the parts. Just ten. There's more than ten. Ten parts. There's a free nerve ending that monitors pain and temperature. So you can tell if something is a little warm or, or too warm. There are something called Merkel discs, which monitor touch, and Meisner's corpuscle that monitor touch. So you can tell, is something, does it feel like velvet, or does it feel like oil, or does it feel like, what's it feel like? There's some, the sebaceous gland. How many of you ask God, give me sebaceous glands? He just gave them to you. Root hair plexus. 
Arteriole brings the blood. Venule takes the dead stuff away. Ruffini's ending, so you can tell pressure, whether something is kind of a, a lightly touching you or it's really digging into you. Piscinian corpuscle helps monitor pressure. Krauss's corpuscle, which indicates whether something is cold. And he covered your whole body with this for free. Thank God for skin. Thank God for 150 years of Bethlehem Baptist Church. Right here, up here. We can look at a banner and we can look at manna and not see the glory of God. Or we can look at a banner and we can look at manna and say, God is glorious. He's really good and kind. It's not that we need more for which to be thankful. William Law in 1729 wrote this in a book called A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life. Would you know who is the greatest saint in the world? It is not he who prays most or fasts most. It is not he who gives most alms or is most eminent for temperance or chastity or justice. But it is he who is always thankful to God who wills everything that God wills, who receives everything as an instance of God's goodness and has a heart always ready to praise God for it. This thankfulness turns all that it touches into happiness. Well, who doesn't want to be happy? So I should get good at being thankful to God. But I am a grumbler with the children of Israel. And every other sin that I commit has a measure of ingratitude in it. Thievery or adultery or bitterness. Name, name your palette of sins. In them is ingratitude to God. Thomas Chalmers wrote about the expulsive, not explosive like a bomb, but expulsive like this. Okay, we live here in the North Country. And uh, in the autumn of the year, you've probably seen in various lawns that have underground sprinkler systems, they force air in, compressed air, and what comes out? Mist. All the water. Come, they're, they're trying to empty the lines of water because if you leave the water in there in the cold weather, it'll freeze and break those lines. And the way you get it out is get something else in. That's expulsion, not expulsion. Explosion, but expulsion. The expulsive power of a new affection. It, it won't work for us to say, okay, I'm not going to grumble. I'm not going to grumble. Won't, it just won't work. There's a vacuum in there. That just Grumbling is sticky. But if I become thankful, it just oozes out the grumbling just pushes it out there's no room so how shall we squeeze out various sins including ingratitude I'm going to give you one text and then a little exercise we'll do together Ephesians 5 4 says let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk 
or crude joking, which are out of place, okay? So don't do this and don't do that. There's, a, there's some don'ts in there. Don't do them. How are we going to not do them? Instead, let there be thanksgiving. That's what it says. Put the thanksgiving in, and it'll squeeze out the kind of speech that shouldn't be coming out of our mouths. Foolishness, filthiness, crude joking. A crucial aspect of being thankful is beholding, seeing. And grumbling sees something that it doesn't like, but thankfulness sees something better. It's the expulsive power of a superior affection. So now here's the exercise. I'm going to invite you to join me in this. I'm going to give you a list. I developed a list, and then I went through it, and I cut it in half. So I'm just going to give you half of, of a list of things about God that make thankfulness well up. And I hope it wells up in you. All right, here we go. Will I grumble when I behold one who has the power and desire to enable me to pass from death to life? When I see one who makes the old man in me become a new man? Will you grumble? when you consider the one who found you when you were lost, the one who by all rights could exclude you, but instead includes you? Will you grumble at the adopter of the abandoned orphan like you? Will you grumble at the one who will never forsake you or leave you, one who can cause you to be born again to a living hope, the one who forgives 70 times 7, and then some. The one who clears your record of wrong and gives you his own perfect record. Will you grumble at the champion who defends you so that no weapon formed against you will prosper? Grumble at the Father who bids you come and rest? Grumble at the brother who carries your load? The carpenter who prepares a place for you that where he is you may be also? because he wants you to be with him? Grumble at the good shepherd who restores your weary soul, the Savior who snatches you from the pit from which you cannot rescue yourself. Grumble at the ransom who purchases your freedom, the one who loves you and that while you were yet a sinner, he gave up his life for you. That's why one of the reasons we preach Christ crucified. Will you grumble at the one who will carry on to completion what he's begun in you? Or will you be thankful instead? Will you be thankful when your life seems like you are in free fall, but underneath is the everlasting arm? Thank you, Lord. When you need help, he's the one who came not to be served, but to serve. Thank you, Lord. When it seems like nobody knows the trouble you've seen, He's the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Your grief. Thank you, Lord. You know, when it comes to grumbling, Jesus goes to the cross and never says a grumbling word at the cross. 
If ever there was a context in which one might grumble, that would be it. Will you be grateful to this friend who loves at all times? Anybody grateful for him? Let's pray. Our Father, thank you feels so inadequate. You are good all the time. You are never not good. You provide us with life and breath and everything else. And your promise is to deliver us to pleasures at your right hand forevermore. So yes, we are grateful. We're grateful in this moment and we plead with you to increase our capacity and our readiness and our willingness and even our eagerness to be thankful, to say how grateful we are for your provision to us who do not deserve anything from you but the wage that we've earned from our sin. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the rewards you've promised and for the warnings you give us. Thank you for your Son, your preeminent Son, whose name is above every name. Pray that you would so fill us with a vision of His splendor. We would be so impressed with Jesus that it would push out other delights in our hearts. Thank you that you're able to do it and you're willing to do it. And now I ask for a particular help, particular momentary help, that in these next moments we would sing with Nan with divine enablement. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.